Well, welcome to Professor Omar Faiz for this second episode on the surgery for ulcerative colitis. Uh, we talked in the first episode about emergency uh, subtotal colectomy in great detail, but now we're going to talk about surgery appropriate to the elective setting where, there's, where the patient has, has either had the subtotal colectomy or has slowly come to the need for a colectomy because of failed medical management or other problems such as dysplasia or even a small cancer. First of all, Omar, welcome again. Thank you. And um, in Britain, we, everybody knows about pouch surgery and, and panproctocolectomy and, and ileorectal anastomosis. What proportion of patients in Britain today are having which operations? You mean of, of the people who've had a subtotal colectomy? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so yes, if we, if we think sort of 20% of patients with, with ulcerative colitis historically will have had a subtotal colectomy. Surprisingly, uh, Peter, only one third of those have a restorative procedure. So, and by restorative procedure, I mean effectively an ileoanal pouch. Uh, there's a very small number who, who will have an ileorectal anastomosis. But the vast majority will, will either stay as they are with a subtotal uh, colectomy and end ileostomy with keeping the rectal stump in situ and having sort of two yearly surveillance. Some of those will choose to go on to having a, a proctectomy. Um, but it's only a minority. I think that, that, that surprised me enormously. We conducted this study and published it a year or two ago. And it surprised me enormously that actually it was such a low number in uh, in in our country and they're doing they're staying with the uh, subtotal colectomy and and um uh, retained rectum uh, because of their because they're too old to have another operation or because they can't get round to it or, or well we don't know what the reason is we don't know exactly what the reason is and i i, I mean i'm not sure i think there no. may be some good reasons in in many instances where where patients um, are appropriately assessed for restorative options, they're counselled appropriately, and they choose uh, very clearly to opt away from that. I think there are other other instances where, where a lot of the surgery and how we've configured services uh, in uh, the UK means that sort of patients don't necessarily always end up having their colectomy in a centre where they may be proficient in restorative techniques such as ileoanal pouch surgery and it may well be that those patients don't find their way or don't want to travel or don't want to travel um, yeah. or for whatever reason don't actually sort of you know uh, take the next step but there are some patients whose symptoms from the retained rectum are so severe in terms of mucus discharge and irritation that they'll go on to surgery I think there are certainly those who are led by symptoms I think there is another group in whom uh, gradual stenosis occurs uh, prohibiting um, any form of surveillance um, and there's an, uh, another group who, who actually sort of you know either develop cancer or are extremely anxious of the prospects of developing cancer who will opt to just have something definitive like a proctectomy. And you mentioned IRA, ileorectal anastomosis, being relatively unused in, mm. in the UK. We know in Sweden it's much more common and pouches yeah. are less frequent. What, what, why do you think that is? It, it's interesting. We seem to have evolved our, our surgical techniques or our surgical strategy for ulcerative colitis 
in quite different ways uh, in two countries that that seem geographically reasonably close together um, our um, strategy is much more in keeping with that of the United States I think in the rest of the world uh, to be honest um, whereas in in Sweden they do seem to have a slightly different algorithm um, over the last three years three four years uh, we've been running a collaborative project research project with uh, Swedish surgeons to try and explore this question because I think it's fair to say Peter and you know you will remember the, the the days you know when IRA was used you know for, for ulcerative colitis and many UK surgeons report pretty dreadful outcome to those days with patients with extreme frequency tenesmus um, uh, real difficulty sort of leaving the house and yet we've got this this other country where, where they've adopted this technique and they seem to be employing it sort of successfully in a way that we we weren't able to now through this research collaboration that we've uh, we've maintained with the Swedish surgeons we we've explored uh, English and Swedish data sets to just try and work out what does go on and interesting, like I, I said to you, that only one third of our patients in this country will have a restorative option, of which over 90% of those are pouches, and a very small single figures uh, number uh, percentage are ileorectals. If you look at Sweden, 50% of their patients, as opposed to the third that I mentioned, will actually undergo a restorative procedure. But actually, the majority of their restorative procedures will be ileorectal anastomosis procedures and a minority pouches. Some of those ileorectals will then convert to pouches at a later date. Or even to ileostomy, end ileostomy. Or to end ileostomy, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, let's go on to the pouch because that's um, a, a big deal for someone who wants to do colorectal surgery and be seen as a specialist in it. And it's almost a seminal operation for them to learn and understand. Tell us your technique. We were you saying that earlier that you try and do this laparoscopically or laparoscopic assisted. Um, any, any, what's your technique? To, to uh, it's it's to changed use? enormously over the over the sort of you know last sort of fifteen years, really. Um, certainly, when I was coming through uh, as a registrar and a senior registrar, and here at St Marks, it was predominantly being done as an open. Uh, operation and just towards the very tail end of my training where people uh, starting to think about using uh, laparoscopy uh, for the technique now that's become pretty much the standard in in many uh, high volume centers pouch centers that will do laparoscopic uh, surgery and I think that that evolution started probably about 10 years ago um, it certainly started as a sort of multi-port technique uh, certain colleague, colleagues then modified it to a single incision uh, technique um, and then I think mo more recently you look at the last three to four years and we've been using again minimal access surgery but from a transanal approach so we've been doing the retrograde dissections from below uh, in order to meet the pelvic dissection from above Sort of tat 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 yeah. me procedure. Yeah, it's effectively the the, the TA pouch, the sort of yeah. tat me equivalent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And has that really helped? Do you think there's an advantage there? There's quite a lot of debate about 
Daphne in on the record. There is. We're, we're, we're currently uh, about to start a research project called Circles, investigating whether or not it does actually help. Intuitively, I think it will help. The reason that I think it, it will is pre predominantly relates to the anastomosis as opposed to the dissection. Certainly in my colitic pouches, I'll, I'll adopt a close rectal dissection anyway, so I try to preserve the mesorectum. So it means that doing an actual uh, tapme approach or a, a tear pouch approach from, from below uh, is actually pretty straightforward. But the bit that is really important, I think, is the rectotomy, that you can select exactly the level that you want to actually create your anastomosis at. Um, through the double purse string technique, you also avoid what I thought was the Achilles heel of pouch surgery, which is the the staple line over staple line uh, at the anastomosis, and that's I think most often in the in the in the cases that I've seen where they've leaked the site yeah. where the leakage is actually sort of at least sort of initiated. Um, so the double purse string technique actually takes that out of the equation. You don't have uh, any crossing of staple lines, and I think that might turn out to be the most significant uh, advantage. Yeah, I'm just interested in the mesorectum um, because some people might think if you're leaving the mesorectum, it's all going to be a bit crowded down there, but there, but there's plenty of spaces there for, the, so for a decent-sized pouch and the mesorectum to live together. It does It does look snug, you know, and it looks and feels snug uh, down there, and I wonder about that too. Um, against that, um, I've had other experiences the other way where you've got a great big gaping hollow pelvis where all the small bowel wants to just go and fall directly into the yeah. minute you've actually anastomosed and the mesorectum protects it that's from right that. that's yeah. right and also if you have a leak peter because you know if you have a leak we've now got pretty sophisticated ways of trying to deal uh, with that and salvage you know quite a high rate through use of endosponge techniques into the the abscess cavity cleaning it up over the course of two to three weeks and then uh, uh, a reattempt at closure. Now, that I think is probably easier to do if you've got a contained leak into the mesorectum as opposed to something and that's And the mesorectum actually... may help that to stay contained. Absolutely. So that, there's an advantage there. And your aim is to do now a single stapled anastomosis with the help of the perineal approach or the perianal approach, the, the TA approach, um, rather than a double stable technique uh, and just at the dentate line almost joining up the, the papillae yeah so a little bit higher a little bit higher and I think I think that's uh, probably because you know in terms of symptoms and tenesmus we don't get away with a staple line ex at exactly the same level as you do with 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 uh, a hand-sewn anastomosis so we'll, we'll aim to leave a centimeter or a centimeter and a half uh, above the the dentate line and the technique for the pouch because that's always of interest i mean yeah john nichols who with uh, alan parks in, uh, brought this operation into being um did um uh, his um w pouch uh, yeah. and before that was the s pouch and then the j pouch of utsunomaya has become almost world standard hasn't it and yeah. presumably that's what you're doing that's that's what that's what we're doing yes i saw John do a, a, a W patch a couple of times, which was wonderful to watch, but I'm not sure I could emulate it myself. Now. And so you're using two or three firings of the long staple? Three firings of, yeah. the, of the 75 millimeter um, uh, GIA. And how big do you plan to get your pouch? I used to me measure them at about 250 mils 
with a bit of saline when I first started. Do, do, so, you, do you bother with so, that? No, I, I don't actually usually go through that, but I will go through the, the, the measurement more formally. Um, I aim for a 20 centimetre 20 centimetres, that's length, a, long, a long pouch. Of uh, pouch, but anywhere between 15 and 20, there's usually, I go for the most dependent part, the, the bit that's going to reach the furthest. Um, and wherever that falls within about, so with me being able to make a 15 to 20 centimetre pouch. And what about defunction? Yeah. So that's that's controversial. Um, increasingly, there, there, are, there are colleagues, uh, some in this country, some uh, in Europe, who aim not to defunction. I've had a number of cases where I have been unable to to get the uh, uh, small bowel loop up to the surface. Uh, actually, that, that, has, that has occurred at uh, various times and I've always been okay with that happening. Um, so you haven't, you haven't defunctioned in that sense? I haven't defunctioned and because usually, because usually trying to has distorted the actual pouch when I've been trying to. Uh, and it's been under significant tension because of the, obviously when you create the pouch, you're, you're going back upstream to loops that don't have the same length of mesentery. And for some reason, in some of the polyposis patients, that seems to be more of an issue than in the ulcerative colitis patients. Um, and I've certainly had somewhere where I just physically couldn't actually bring the, uh, the defunction limb up to the, up to the surface. So I've had to settle for not defunctioning and I haven't experienced any problems as a result. Uh, interestingly, <coughs> I think there's, when you when you look now, there's some evidence that's come out. So I think some very recently from Denmark looking at their entire nationwide uh, experience. And when you look at their pouch failures, actually one of the determinants was the not diverting. So it makes you wonder whether or not the, the ileostomy does protect and does protect you to some extent from those 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 very small minor leaks that perhaps happen but healing mechanisms can actually deal with adequately and by the time of the reversal they don't show on the gastrographin and you can reverse them without too many problems just clarify what you mean you're are you saying that the ileostomy uh, the loop ileostomy upstream of a pouch once it's made seems to ha have a better out uh, long-term outcome for the pouch when the ileostomy is closed than those that don't have a yes. ileostomy that's yes. interesting Yes, right. so there seems to be some some slight favour towards uh, that, and that's only very recent uh, evidence to to support that. But it's it will be it will be debated. I, I think there's still a certain amount of controversy that surrounds this this entire area. Okay, so we we've got the pouch in place, and then astomosis. We've got another loop ileostomy above it. When are you closing this loop ileostomy in the majority of patients? Well, between two and three months. Two or three months, if, if in ideal conditions. Um, and I don't think we'll talk about that in detail. But we need to talk about what happens to the pouch after that, in terms of both its function and its and the problems of pouchitis and so on. Uh, I mean, I've uh, written on my list of things to ask you is, uh, was, are the glory days of pouches over? Um, do you want to answer that? That's an interesting uh, question. I certainly don't think they're over. I, I, I think it's been quite interesting. We, we know that the uh, volume of pouches that are done nationally has decreased in recent years. 
And it's interesting to sort of question why that's the case. At first glance, you might think, you know, is that because medical treatment's working much better? Well, as I said to you in, in our last interview, uh, no, we don't seem to be seeing drastically different rates in subtotal colectomy. So the number of patients coming to emergency colectomy is still broadly similar, but the number of patients who are opting for a reconstruction has actually dropped off significantly. So the question is why? Um, there's no doubt that we have to sort of uh, ensure that we provide high quality services for pouch uh, patients or prospective pouch patients. I think this is, this is a really high stakes area of surgery we're doing this for quality of life at this point so we've got to provide decent services afterwards yeah absolutely you know, when they absolutely. run into difficulties and try to ensure we've got exactly like we said in the last interview the right surgeon in the right place at the right time uh doing doing this this procedure and we've got our ileostomy senior nurses absolutely uh, and uh, nurse consultants looking after these patients yeah. patients afterwards haven't we we have but i think there's there's also another really important factor behind the declining pouch numbers which is the societal shift that i think uh obviously the 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 need for pouch surgery you know back in the in the 1970s was really a, about some of the problems and stigma associated with with the ileostomy especially in, in young patients. And we have seen significant shifts in society for the better, you know, in recent years. Tolerating ileostomy that's m right. much more that's right. than and, they used and, to. And, and lots of younger patients who are coming to me saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly definitive that I don't want to undergo um, a restorative procedure. Yeah, I was going to say, are the majority of the patients who opt for an ileostomy and a panproctocolectomy um, and and a permanent ileostomy, are they the older patients? But you've just sort of answered it slightly So historically, they, they have been the older patients. And certainly in terms of our selection for parrot surgery, we, we've known that function was poorer in patients who were over the age of 55 than they were in the younger uh, age groups. Um, but more recently, as I say, we, we have seen that sort of younger patients are tending now to opt I wouldn't say uh, all of them are opting for uh, permanent ileostomies but there are greater numbers opting for that route right let's talk about pouchitis um, how do you see it numbers you're going to have help from your physicians again because it it does need quite a lot of medical management and there's a lot of research and uh, new thinking going on what proportion of your patients get significant pouchitis and when well, I think, you know, when you look at the statistics, I mean, it's between 30 and 50 percent that will get a, an episode at least of pouchitis. So I think acute pouchitis is extremely common uh, after after pouch surgery. But the vast majority are absolutely fine. I think it's either self-limiting or something that, that's managed very easily with a, a course of antibiotics, usually by their GP or, or gastroenterologist. There is the other group of patients that sort of are defined as chronic pouchitis, and that's a really small percentage of the ones that develop pouchitis, but they get chronic refractory symptoms. Do you think some of these have had a leak which we never really discovered? I think that's exactly the problem, yeah. actually. And I think, you know, ourselves, we've, we've published on this, I think the Cleveland Clinic have published on this, that when you actually look in this group, you do find uh, septic complications that, that, that you know, anastomotic problems or sinuses that have uh, uh, are usually behind uh, some of this group and you know 
obviously miraculously enough you give them both antibiotics and they both tend to get slightly better and then they both recur the minute that you take the antibiotics away and I, I think MRI scanning has actually helped us enormously that it's actually allowed us to see some of what's going on outside of the pouch as opposed to just the the luminal view so when you see a young patient who's thinking about a pouch what are you going to tell them are you going to say you're going to go to the toilet about five to six times during the day and once or twice at night uh, you may get an attack of pouchitis, which is usually transitory, um, but one in five of you are probably going to have such unsatisfactory function that eventually you might end up with an endileostomy. Is that the sort of advice you give Yeah, them? I'm not sure I put it like that, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes, that, that over you know a 20-year period, that is, that is correct, that you know one in five will go back to uh, an ileostomy. But for, for many patients, the, they are, you know, say in their 20s, and they're sort of thinking, well, what happens in 10, 20 years' time is is a different matter. It's, it's, it's about what I need in my life right now. Uh, so how we process all of this information, I think, is, is very individual. It needs to be very individualised also. And one thing that's always worried me, and I suppose I should ask our colleague, Professor Sue Clark, about this perhaps more than you, because she, a lot of these patients come to her where they have to have the pouch taken out, is that so often you've lost that length of ileum and you've ended up with a ileostomy which is higher up the GI tract, therefore will function more and, and could be a problem. So again, when we look at the, the numbers of declining pouches, again, some of that, I think, is this greater awareness and perhaps through social media and, and uh, uh, how that facilitates patient-to-patient -patient contact is that patients do, I think, now come into this understanding that um, outcome isn't guaranteed with pouch surgery. And there is also some risk involved because very often you hear the patient say, oh, I'll just try the pouch and if it doesn't work out, I'll just go back to the bag. And then you have to, you really do have to start the conversation again and, and sort of say, well, look, you don't go back to exactly the same bag. No, you've lost that extra bit. You've lost that extra bit and, and it doesn't function the same way and you might feel more tired as a result of uh, the fluid and, and electrolyte losses. So I think, I think patients are also now more cautious perhaps about, you know, the gamble uh, uh, attached to uh, further complex surgery. But we've also got to tell them that there are still complications after a panproctocolectomy in terms of obstruction and adhesions and so on. Maybe with the laparoscopic, in the laparoscopic era, that's not as great. But certainly in, when I was doing a lot of it, you know, there were significant adhesions afterwards, which might lead to episodes of small bowel obstruction yeah. after a panproctocolectomy. I think that's right. And I, th I think, you know, our explanation doesn't actually frighten patients away as, as long as it's done uh, appropriately. I think it helps them arrive at their own... Uh, decisions which they need to uh, in, in, in this area but I think that that is something that you have to be prepared to invest time in uh, patients often need to see you two or three times they need to sort of come back they need to see the stoma nurses they'll they'll do some of their own uh, research in all of this and at the same time in this in this area you know you you are running certain things in parallel you're getting a second opinion on the pathology you're you know doing anorectal physiology tests if you need to uh, if that's a, a potential issue so there's there's a lot that goes into that that sort of 
meeting and then the sort of subsequent consultations with somebody who may or may not wish to pursue pouch surgery. And, and finally, Professor uh, Omar, Professor Weiss, um what about cock pouches? I mean, we talked yeah. about Sweden earlier, which is where the that came from. Um, do we see any great benefit? Is anybody doing them now in any quantity anywhere around the world? They're still being done uh, in in Sweden. Um, there are variants of the cock pouch that are being done elsewhere. I there are also other newer devices uh, that are coming out. One of them is called the Tease uh, device, which is um, like a metallic implant, sort of you know aimed at sort of again the same uh, intention for, for uh, continent ileostomy. So I think there's 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 renewed interest. I think like the magnetic stoma. Uh, that was uh, tried um, 20, 30 years ago, that'll probably fail, won't it? If it, it, it really won't work if there's a foreign body there. I couldn't, couldn't possibly come. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for an excellent session. We've learned a lot about restorative proctocolectomy and your techniques and uh, uh, explored the subject in some detail. Uh, and uh, thank you very much for uh, giving us your second podcast and we hope to get you back another time to discuss the uh, uh, surgery of Crohn's disease, perhaps. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you. Thank you.